0: Monica Smith, where are you coming in from? What's that wonderful backdrop we've got behind you?
1: Oh, you know, I'm just sitting in the middle of the uh, in the Yarra River here at. Uh, we have the the, uh, the Melbourne City skyline in black and white today. it's uh it's a lovely day.
0: <laughs> we've got no expense spared on our media. We,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm right there in the middle of it all. so I love it's really it exciting.
0: <laughs> uh, I have to start this interview with a a, a declaration, a confession, if you like. you, There are very few people I put anymore on any kind of a pedestal, but you do have a place on my very short list of pedestal people, because when I heard your interview with Cafe Locked Out months and months ago, the story that you told of being locked down after one of the protests in Melbourne with your ridiculous uh, lockdowns that you had, they arrested you, they put you in prison. I'm just going to sum it up here. And you were in solitary confinement for uh, weeks And they came to you early on and said, here, sign the papers and you'll get out. And this extraordinary woman of whom I'd never heard before had the gall to say, no, not signing that. I'm not signing something that says I can't protest and express my voice and be a free woman. So I'll stay in prison. And over those, what was it, three, four weeks, the numbers of your supporters just grew and grew and grew. And this oppressive Melbourne regime learned a very sound lesson that I think reverberated around the world, which is if you act oppressively and tyrannically, you may find that it goes the other way, that in fact, it wakes a lot more people up. Tell us more about what happened, just a bit more about that story. It totally inspired me. I, I thought if that happened to me, would I do the same? And in my gut, I got a yes. So I wonder how many others you've inspired, but take us back to that day of the arrest. What had been going on, Monica?
1: Well, um, it's funny, three days before I got arrested, I made a joke to my partner and I just said, um, oh, no, 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 sorry. Three days beforehand, I had, I had, a, I had a dream, but it was like, a, it was like a, a, a wake dream, you know, just before sleeping, right? And I had a dream that I got arrested and I didn't sign the bail conditions. Now, this had been happening to other people in Australia. So other influencers and uh, leaders or whatever you want to call them had been arrested and given bad bail conditions and they were signing them. So in my head, I had already in this dream, I, I, I didn't sign them because I'm like, no, I'm not going to not protest or things like that. So anyway, the, the dream was so vivid that the next day I told my partner, look, just so you know, if I get arrested, I'm not going to sign the bail conditions. And he was like, what? So you're going to go to jail? And I'm like, yeah, like just letting you know, you know, so it was, it was actually, it was kind of like, God, I believe in God. I think it was like, God was preparing me for it three days yes. beforehand. So when it actually, and even half an hour before I got actually arrested, I was doing an interview with an amazing doctor and um, I made a joke to him. And I was like, if I get arrested, make sure you continue to do interviews. And then I literally walked out of his house and got arrested. So, and it was because I was so sort of mentally prepared when I was arrested, I wasn't angry or shocked. I was just like, oh, okay. So the dream was real, you know? (laughs) So that's why I was that's why I was so calm. Um, I, cause I was kind of ready for it, but then, you know, when, when the bail condition, like I, I obviously s- spent the day and the night in remand and, and, you know, that was, that was the story of itself. Um, but you know, when I was in the magistrate court, you know, behind the, that, that, you know, the plastic, you know, like a jail, uh, you know, prisoner thing and the computers on the other side. And I'm just like, anyway, whatever. So I'm in the magistrate court and that she she lists the different um the different bail conditions and I'm like, holy, I can't sign those. Like, I can't sign those, you know. And uh and then
0: so my what wife were was, they? What were they, Monica? Why why did that gut feel come up? Tell us what they were.
1: The first one was bad enough. Um, the first one was that I had to be home by seven pm, and at, from b- between seven pm and six am every day. I'm still on bail.
0: Okay. Oh, God.
1: Ten months later. Imagine if I couldn't be out with my friends having a barbecue at 7 p.m. Like,
0: could you imagine? And let's put this against, just let's remind people, your your crime, your defalcation was that you'd stood up as part of a supposedly democratic society and said, I'm not okay with this government overreach into my life.
1: My crime was that I had a platform that had a voice. Um, that was my crime. And I was, I was mobilizing people. So, so that was the worst one. Um, And then the, the, the next two that were the worst um, is that I had to delete everything on my website within 24 hours that opposed the COVID directions. So not things that were encouraging people to break them, just anything that was against Daniel Andrews COVID narrative, basically. And I couldn't speak against the COVID narrative in any setting, not just online or anything. I literally could not have an opinion about the COVID narrative. And I was like, well, I can't sign those. So they actually made it really easy. And if my whole website was against the COVID narrative. So it would have, and I had seven staff at the time, they all would have lost their jobs instantly in within 24 hours. And, and it would have taken me three weeks to like appeal those bail conditions and then what, put all the website, put all the content back? I don't know how I would, would have done that. I would have had to, anyway. So the point is I couldn't sign it. That's why I went to prison for 22 days. But, you know, there, there is more to this story. And by the way, when we appealed the bail conditions, all of those got taken away. So that, that the police lost. The Supreme Court judge says, this is ridiculous. This girl has not... She's not run through a house with the machete and threatened to kill a whole family. Um, you know? Yeah. She's, you know what the judge said? She, she finds loopholes. She's <laughs> like, she finds loopholes and she, that's not a crime, you know? Anyway, so uh, I'm still on bail, but three weeks ago, um, or just really quickly in fe- in February, I pled not guilty um, because I have so much support without support. I wouldn't have been able to continue the fight, but then the police took out a warrant Forcing me to give them passwords to all the applications in my phone, which they still have in their custody. And it has admin at Reignite Democracy Australia, so lots of personal data in there, Um, Google Docs, Google Drive, Google Maps. They wanted access to everything on my phone. Um, And if I didn't give it to them, I would risk five years in jail, which is a worse crime than the original crime, right? And also by not. Giving them the passwords, I was also breaking my bail conditions because it was it's an indictable offence to 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 not comply with a warrant like that. Um, so uh, it was pretty scary, but I said no. Um, after trying to appeal it, uh, costing over hundred thousand dollars to try to appeal it, I lost the appeal for the warrant, and then I just said, well no, I'm not giving you anything. How do you want me to, how do you want to play this? Because last time they arrested me, I was in work clothes. It wasn't very comfortable. So I said, look, if you're going to arrest me, I want to be wearing tracksuit pants and comfortable. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> Practic- practical practical yeah. woman. Yeah. yeah practical. Like, <laughs> I- I'll walk myself in no problems, you know? So I emailed oh. them. I-, I-, I said, I'm not giving you any passwords. So, so what next? Are you going to hunt me down or can I just come into the station? What-, what are we doing? And then they dropped the charges just like that. So. <sighs> the lesson here is to the to the audience the lesson is is that there are some battles worth fighting all the way some are not Um, but in this case because I have so much support and I feel like I get intuition from above um, I felt like I felt like that warrant was like a poker hand if anyone here knows how to play poker you bluff sometimes you pretend you have a good hand but you don't so the police were like intimidating me with this warrant um, scaring me and I said no nah, I'm, I'm going to call your bluff and they're like oh, all right fine no worries we're going to drop the charges anyway just like that they dropped the charges but 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 there is a twist I am still on bail even though I have no no criminal charges can you believe it they refused to take me off bail so it's I don't even know if they can legally do that
0: I don't think they can and that again could go to the courts and they'd be told but but they're getting a slap on the wrist with a wet bus ticket, these police overreach. They will be held accountable in the future. I want to go back, though. It's just an extraordinary story. Imagine if all of us did this. And listening to that interview of yours, the first one, I remember sitting there quietly afterwards, meditating, going, would I do that? And it was just a complete yes in my body. I would stay in prison, and I would call their bluff, and I would say, you are absolutely abusing power in this country, and all Kiwis, you need to wake up now because we are facing tyranny, if this goes on. All you or I are wanting to do is speak up and question and ask for answers that are truthful from our leaders who are voted in. But go back to being in those cells. I remember the story of you being in solitary confinement. How did that feel? And what did you do to get vitamin D each day? Monica, that story was so poignant.
1: I actually, it's funny, I had to basically beg and plead just to get vitamin D supplements because most of the prisoners in there are on like, you know, psych, psych meds or, you know, like pretty extreme sort of uh, mood altering drugs. And I'm like, I don't want anything. I just want vitamin D please. And they're just like, what? I'm like, and they had to like, it was like three days or something just to get approval to give me vitamin D. And I'm like, I'm stuck in this room with no sunshine. Like, how is this? Anyway, and I just finished an interview with a doctor talking about how vitamin D could end the pandemic. So I was like, yeah, I need vitamin D anyway. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, the solitary confinement was because I refused to take a PCR test, but They actually kept me in there for longer than they should have, to be honest. I should have been let out after 14 days. Um, So I was in there the whole time. How was it? To be honest, it was extremely restful. Um, I slept a lot and um, just like thought a lot. And I obviously digitally um, detoxed, didn't I? Um, There was no TV for the first 12 days because prisoners keep breaking them. So there's not enough. Um, And I didn't have any books for like the first eight or nine days either so so I had nothing to do for like the first eight or nine days Um, and I I did a lot of writing by hand and uh, you know I had to keep asking for more and more paper because I kept running out and then I was like writing on the back of like kids drawings because they had like a little drawing pack in there for prisoners and I was like writing on the back of that and then it's like can I have a few more pieces of paper can I have a few I was using pencil like colored pencil and then after like a few days of me just like asking for more paper this one girl just like got me a whole notepad and she's like here you go and I was like yeah (laughs) there you go because you had to pay for the notepads and I didn't have any money because any anyway, because I, um, yeah, so I wrote a lot and I exercised in there a lot and I fasted as well because I thought, well, there's no cheese boards or you know, yeah. anything, and no cocktails in here, so I might as well make the most <laughs> of it. Uh, but I had to pretend to eat because they said if you if you're not eating, we're going to take you to the psych ward. So um, I had to still take the food and pretend to eat it, and then
0: put it in the bin. So anyway, that's my wow. Story. And there's a story also about getting up by a little window every day. Uh, wasn't yeah. wasn't the sun coming in for a certain hour in the middle yeah, of yes, the
1: day? Yes, it was ab- about five o'clock. Um, I guess it was it was uh, it's almost a year ago now. So it was about it was winter time. So it was about five o'clock. The sun would come and uh, where the buildings were you know you only got an hour of the sun kind of hitting you and but but the the plastic the the window was so thick that I don't think I don't think there was any vitamin D coming through there but you know I imagine there was.
0: Did you come out traumatized because this is clearly all of this to me now reeks of a psyop a psychological operation against the people I can see our New Zealanders are Many are deeply traumatized. They've lost their ability to critically think, which happens when that limbic part of the brain gets activated. We just become reactive. It's fight or flight. You know, it's just they're saying on the news, put a mask on. I'll put a mask on. They're saying, you know, to to worry about monkeypox. I'll do that. You know, they've stopped being able to say, hey, these are just politicians and they're renowned for being liars anyway. Why would I follow this? It's clearly to, to make me feel scared. Did you come out a little bit mentally... Fragile from that, or did it make you mentally stronger, more determined, Monica?
1: I don't know. I'm kind of weird, you know, and I think that's why this is happening to me. Um, that that prison experience affected me less than, say, um, an argument with someone I really love. You know, like I, <laughs> I, love I it. yeah, I, I kind of find it. I find it very interesting to have such big enemies being the police and the government and probably Daniel Andrews directly is probably uh, briefed on my case I find it quite interesting and I, and I and I and I always think I love stories you know when I was tra- I just love having a good story and I'm just like wow this is getting this is getting to be quite a story you know and if if I if I'm ever around a dinner table and someone says what's the craziest thing that happens to you well I have my answer I went to prison <laughs> like it's it's done my answer's there so I I look look I'll I'll be honest with you that there was some trauma obviously uh with being on bail and I I would come home every every day I would come home I would drive around the corner and I would just in my head wonder if the police were going to be there you know um if anyone knocked at the door if it was a post postman or a serviceman or anything my first I would turn on my camera and I would go to the door you know thinking it might be the police so yes there I'm not a robot. Of course, there is some psychological, you know, and and being in the protest movement where you're shot at and you're having to run away like it's a like it's a game show, like it's a game on on a, on, a, on an Xbox or something, that affects you. When you see when you see police now, um, I I've involuntarily, you know, had had body um, body reactions from turning around a corner and seeing like a hundred police, like. You know, I yes. yes. So yes, there is absolutely trauma, and my personal relationships with my family suffered. Um, Actually, your audience will like this story because when when they went to, I lived on a property with um, multiple family members and children, and I lived in the in in the in a in a house barn that was really comfortable, but it was a barn. But it wasn't zoned residential, which means we weren't supposed to be living there. So me and, my fam- me and my parents lived in the barn and my brother and his children lived at the front house. Now, the police came to search the house. Uh, they, they came many times, by the way, even after midnight. Uh, but they came this time after they had arrested me on that day and they came to search to try and find my stuff. Now, they couldn't find my bedroom in the house because, well, it wasn't there, was it? And um, so when the parents weren't looking, they interrogated my four-year-old nephew and they said... Where does your auntie sleep? And oh he said, in, he said, he said, Auntie Monica sleeps in the barn. And so, but because the barn wasn't zoned residential, they couldn't search it because they didn't have it on the search warrant. So they got really annoyed. So they went to the council and they dobbed in the barn. So me and my parents had to move out of the barn. So I got out of prison, and my my the the, the situation that I had left the, the situation that I had been dreaming about during isolation coming home to was actually not there anymore. My parents were in the middle of moving. Um, then they went to Queensland. And so actually my whole like base um, actually was affected by the yes. police, you know, and I had to give away my cat because my life was so unstable. I, I had to give her away because I didn't know if I was going to go back to prison, you know? So Yes. It did affect me. It's a
0: massively important story. I think anybody who derides those with the courage to stand up at this period in human history and and be true to our moral code, to speak out, people need to realise the price that we each pay for this. It is a price that comes from an absolute brutality. What would you say to those police who did it? Because on March the 2nd in Wellington, I saw unfettered police brutality in New Zealand, you know with the imprimatur with the approval of this government and i've often thought about those police how as they grow older and older monica i believe they'll be haunted into their old age unless they put it right with the with the peaceful protesters they will be haunted by the sounds by the looks of horror by the horror what of what was perpetrated at their hands the terrible spray spraying people with fire extinguishers these things have a karmic rebound have a have a hellish rebound for them, and I believe in their futures, not in ours, but what would you say to a policeman who who has done some of this to you if you met him one on one?
1: Yeah, I would probably say um, you know I feel sorry for you because this isn't why you became a police officer and um, you know you you've uh, bended your moral code probably too many times just to keep your job, but yes. you know you can always stop doing that and 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 the, the sooner you stop, the sooner you can start to recover. Um, and, you know, you don't have to necessarily quit or do something extreme, but just uh, take the day off when there's a protest. Surely you can be sick when there's a protest, you know, and a lot of people did that, by the way. But I'm actually not weirdly, I'm not angry at them. I actually feel so, so sorry for them because, like you said, we are becoming stronger and more empowered and better people because of what we're going through. They are doing the exact opposite. So while we were struggling during the um, mandates and the you know being locked out of society, you know our struggle made us stronger. Their struggle is going to make them weaker. Uh, and, and they're going to feel much worse than we've ever felt during this period. And no one's going to be able to save them except for themselves. And I hope hopefully they know that I would for- I forgive them, I would forgive them, and I would help them even if they wanted help with whatever. But I don't envy their position because no matter how much pain I went through, I knew that I was doing it for something greater than myself, whereas they are doing these things to keep their job or for something very, very simple, really. And um, so I really feel sorry for them for when they wake up. And I, I know it's going to be really hard for
0: them. Absolutely. To keep the job, to go along with the herd, the herd mentality within the police and to uphold bullies in government who are clearly In the wrong, my partner Tim lived in Australia for years, and he talked to some elite Australian soldiers who had been in Vietnam. And here they were, 40 years later, telling him that every morning at two o'clock in the morning they're prowling around their houses. They can't get the memories of the awful stuff they did in Vietnam out of their bodies. They said it was like a visceral body memory. So I'm I'm with you all the way. If if they all stopped, if all these police put down their badges and said we're not upholding tyrannical leadership, this ends. This ends, it's over. If we all stood together as you have and said no more, take us back to why, what shaped you, Monica? Why Why are you like this? Where did this courage from come from? What was your training before this? And, and what was your childhood, just briefly?
1: Well, probably um, immediately before COVID hit, I went traveling on my own for basically three years. And um, I, you know, went to a lot of crazy places and did a lot of crazy, when I say crazy, I mean just like, you know, like driving to the tops of mountains in thailand on my own on a scooter and i've never driven a scooter before and going to the murder capital of the of the world honduras on my own like just just kind of like things like that um but you know i was very calculated and safe at the same time mostly um but anyway i picked up a camera in thailand and well i picked up a phone and i started interviewing a tour guide in thailand and that's where it all started i realized i started liking i started. I liked asking questions and I liked getting to know people's stories behind their faces, you know and then when I went to America I, I road tripped around Canada and America for a year and a half and um you know I just, um said I was a journalist and I I got to do some really cool things like I got to go into an ambulance and a fire truck and I got to go into parliament and talk about things like the opioid crisis and I went to a hurricane disaster zone on you know on my own just to see what it was like and just stayed at random people's houses and just did totally random things and it gave me uh the confidence to sort of probably do what I what I do now before that like in my lower twenties, you know, I was taken advantage of many times. I was not confident. I was not who I am today at all. Um, I had a, I had a significantly bad situation happen when I was about 25 and it just like shocked my life. And I moved back home with my parents and I started going back to church and I just started getting my life back together. And that, the lesson there is that um, sometimes the worst thing that happens to you ends up being the best thing. Uh, that's, yes. that's, 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 that's that story. But and also, I did the Camino de Santiago, which is a five-week pilgrimage across Spain when I was about twenty-seven, and that I, I it was so much time to think and, and 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 contemplate life. It was on that Camino that I started to forgive myself for all my mistakes that I had made, um, and I started to, for some reason, I started thinking that I had some sort of purpose, some sort of big voice purpose, but I didn't know what it was, um, and that was when i started writing my first blog and you know doing all that sort of stuff and then it just evolved now it, the biggest the biggest thing when when you want to be a, a, a TV personality or a spokesperson for something is the doubt that you are not cool enough or you're not important enough or no one really cares what you say and I dealt with those demons for years thinking that oh yeah I've got this purpose I just don't know what it is and it's like who are you Monica blah blah, blah. And I'm like no this feeling this feeling is real I know it's real and um I just thought I'll just keep making videos and I'll keep interviewing people you know you don't get that one video that goes viral okay there's like a thousand videos Before that video. Um, So there was a lot of work that went into it and a lot of faith in that feeling that I had. And um, I didn't know I was it was going to be political or anything. But even before COVID, I went, I I was, I did a campaign to try to save the Brumbies in the in the high country of Victoria. uh, Because the the government are killing the Brumbies. Yeah.
0: Those Um, beautiful wild horses. I know. Gorgeous animals.
1: The fires, there was massive fires here in Victoria. So I went down to the aftermath and interviewed people. So I was, you know, I was wetting my toes before covid and then covid happened and it just you know exploded
0: and in the early days of covid did you did you immediately suspect this is hyperbole this is exaggeration this is this is actually manipulation or did you think oh it might be a bowler i'll take it seriously which side did you fall on Oh, I mean,
1: I was never scared of it. I thought, oh, I, I kind of thought it would just be in the media for a few months and then go away. Um, but like there was some people at my work at the time uh, that, you know, were starting to wear masks and stuff. And I was like, nah, I was like, that's weird. Like clearly that piece of cloth doesn't work. But anyway, Um but uh, yeah, I thought it would just go away. Um, uh, But I didn't know it was manipulation straight away because they weren't manipulating us straight away. It was when the lockdown started, which for us was about in March, 2020. Um, That's when I was like, whoa, this is weird, you know? So, Yep,
0: And Daniel Andrews was one of the worst around the world. I mean, Jacinda Ardern is has possibly exceeded him because she's keeping it going as a ruse here in New Zealand still. The the COVID fear porn is on our news still every single night. But Daniel Andrews, was we we were all looking at you guys from here going, this is insane what's going on in Melbourne. Tell us, for Kiwis who aren't aware, just a little bit about Daniel Andrews and, and the excesses that he went to.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, we had a four month lockdown basically um a few little changes here and there but basically you couldn't leave your house more than five kilometers okay you couldn't exercise for more than an hour like how can anyone even police that right so stupid um and then you just can't leave your house for anything. No school, no nothing. It was winter time, so it was dark and dingy, and you couldn't leave the house after eight pm either. So um, you know obviously I'd never followed any of those rules, but that's why you know I got in trouble. Um, but you know you'd be driving at eight after eight o'clock at night and it was just a ghost town. and um, you know there was also a ring of steel around the city, so people from the city couldn't go into the suburbs. And I lived about three minutes away from that ring of steel to the east of me. And um, I wanted to go to a youth group one, one night. And uh, um, I had a piece of paper saying that that's where I was going. And it's, that's a supportive uh, sort of situation where you, you, you need to go to those things. They could let, they, they did allow you to go to some of those types of things and they wouldn't let me go. Men in, in army uniform told me I had to go home. To be honest, I kind of didn't want to go to the youth group anyway. So I was like, Oh, great. You know, but, but still the fact that they turned me around was just such a weird weird feeling um but was that you
0: being singled out do you think because of your content online do you think they were already aware no
1: no I don't think so that that was probably in the earlier days where I wasn't it wasn't as yeah I wasn't as big as I I got um but yeah so there was that and um obviously masks everywhere and if you're not if a police sees you they'll hound you down and they'll do all this stuff but then there was the protests you know and uh you know the police shooting rubber bullets into a into a crowd indiscriminately where there's children and stuff. Like you'll never, I'll never ever be repaired from that. Um, it was just like something out of a movie. And um, and, and you know I've seen police with tears coming down their eyes. You know like they they're obviously struggling with it. Or you know my, my 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 dad was saying the rosary and he was he was holding his rosary beads up in the air and the police yanked the rosaries out of him and out of his hands and arrested him like. Just like no, yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, you know when they when they um they did that kettling thing on Melbourne Cup Day. It's kettling means the police surround a group of people and they don't let them out until they process them one by one. This this group these four hundred people they were in they were stuck in there for four hours. They were given no water. They weren't allowed to go to the toilet. It was it was hot, and there was elderly women in there and children, but the police didn't care. They kettled them for four hours processing them and giving them tickets, giving them infringement notices. So, but sorry, i got I got a little bit off topic, um, but Daniel Andrews- Monica
0: Monica, I, I just need to go into that deeper. I mean, what we saw in Wellington is utterly horrific. And then this prime minister sold it as... The people, the gentle middle-class teachers and nurses, all of whom had lost their jobs, they were a river of filth. That's what one of the ministers called these gentle protesters, who I spent a lot of time with in Wellington interviewing. It was just horrific, the lack of humanity. But I remember in Melbourne that day when the police were approaching the protesters with rubber bullets and driving you back to, of all places, a war memorial. You had to go to a war memorial, which represents our forefathers fighting for us to have the voice to stand up and say, "I don't like this voted in government." That's what they fought for. Were you there that day? I
1: the- <laughs> I had gotten out of prison that day, so no. God. So that yeah, actually the biggest protests in uh, in in history. I wasn't in Australian history. I wasn't able to attend because of prison and stuff like that. So actually there was there was. The uh, CFMEU protest, you know, the the, um, the union protest that they yes. went for the bridge and stuff. Um, I was in prison that day. It was the day before I got out. And I was like, I, I was thinking to myself, see, I'm not the organizer. I'm here yes. in prison. Like, come on, you know, <laughs> I actually am not the protest organizer. Like I've never been. Um, so I, I was pretty proud of proud of people when I was in prison. I was like screaming in my prison cell. Like, yo, <laughs> yes. We've always wanted to go across the bridge, you know, like and 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 cut off traffic like that. I was so proud of them. Um, but <laughs> They yeah. hate
0: that. They hate there isn't one organiser. They absolutely hate in New Zealand. They hate it in parliament, that it was coming from the ground up, that it was swelling up organically. Each human soul saying, I don't need leadership. I certainly don't want corrupt leadership. I will stand for myself, by myself if necessary, and speak out. And they were always going, who's your leader? Who's your leader? But we were all leaders. We were yeah. all standing up courageously yeah. so go back to Daniel Andrews oh yeah so speaking about him
1: so he's obviously um a narcissist psychopath tyrant so he's like pretty pretty bad and um you know he, but he's also very good um very good at I don't know making people feel bad or also making them feel included for following the rules like you know oh well done and you know very uh I don't know it's very strange but like you know, he'll just come out and say, say something like close down playgrounds. And, um and, you know, the a journalist will ask, you know, why did you close down the playgrounds? Where's the proof that, that you need to do that? It's like, oh, well, you know, you just need to trust that we know, you know, like very, uh, uh yeah. evasive and uh, the best part, the best thing that ever happened, probably with one of his press, press conferences, you probably saw this, but he said, uh, after a protest, he's like, I don't even know what they're protesting. And the journalist goes, uh, you and he was like oh, uh, well it's illegal it's like
0: <laughs> what i didn't see that oh yeah my
1: it's, it's hilarious um but you know yeah. the, the, the other thing is with daniel andrews is he's very hungry on power he he doesn't need money he probably doesn't need women or, or drugs or anything like that it's like so what does someone who's got everything want more of is power okay so he loves waking up in the morning and deciding to shut down an entire state. I reckon he gets off on it. And you know, like two days before Valentine's day, we'd only just opened up for like two weeks and all these restaurants would bought all these flowers and food and this and that. And they've taken bookings and the day before Valentine's day, he calls a lockdown. I mean, what is, what would one extra day be right for the people? So it was a, it was a psychological move and um, it was just to show the people that just in case you forgot, I still control your lives, you know?
0: And that is, that is where we need to go. That is where we need to take this discussion because if we go along, Monica, if we keep giving in to the same sort of leader that you have there, we have here an out of control narcissist who will lie absolutely straight to the camera she was on a q a Q&A on our mainstream channel that of course is completely corrupted tv one and you can just feel the lies and you can feel the lack of conscience about lying that real hallmark of the narcissist i'll just say what i need to say i'm cunning i'm i'm clever at selling it but i have no conscience about lying to the people anymore so what do we do what is your advice as as someone who's been through this now for well over a year what is your advice?
1: Well, before I go on to that, and I do have something to say, uh, I think Jacinta and Daniel are in like quite a competition for being the most psychopathic. Like, I just want to recognize for you guys that Jacinta is, her face is evil. Like, she's just like, she's literally like, her face is just like, it's, oh, I don't know. There's something about her She's not, she's not a good person. And um, so I I, I feel, we've been watching you guys too, and uh, you know, I just can't believe what she's like. So so I just wanted to sympathize with you that I think we're almost in the same boat there with Daniel and Jacinta.
0: We're more than, and I often think the third and that triumvirate is Trudeau, that that dead-eyed look, that utter delivery of brutishness to the people that they just don't care about. And they're almost smiling behind these ghastly masks they wear well, they I've must an- enjoy it they must enjoy they it they must they must but they hate it when anything is sheeted home to them when the manipulation doesn't actually work and what i've done recently is look at what's going on in the Tokelau's, which are a small atoll in the center of the pacific monica and i'll send you the material after this but it's horrifying her own father talk about nepotism she put her ex-policeman father as the administrator of the Tokelau's, which uh, are under New Zealand rule and they shouldn't be, those citizens are Kiwis. What they've done there is utterly destroy the fabric of the 1500 people at all, um, family against family, families within families hating each other, the nurse on the island absolutely abusing those few families with the courage to stand up and there's an ex-league player Mahalino Mahalino who's just a magnificent quietly spoken determined leader who's saying he was one of the elders who's saying no I won't have something in my body that I don't feel my god or my ancestors approve of and I want the the tupalinga, the customary leaders on the island to listen to me instead they've been socially ostracized for 11 months his wife has lost 14 kilograms the stress on their children is inordinate on Atafu, one of the other atolls there are a group of families who are also going through enormous stress when I put up a love letter saying, Kiwis, we must stick up for our fellow Kiwis up there. This was last weekend. I had hundreds and hundreds of emails from people saying, I'm trying to share it, Liz. Or I just commented, wow, this is powerful. And I've had a Facebook warning. You will be cut off Facebook. So the the, the absolute censorship by this woman, and I know she and her father do not want at all costs they do not want this getting out to the world so i'm going to send it to you monica and if you've got any links with world media we need this to get out for these beautiful people i can do that i believe what they're doing there is what they would have loved to have done here what they tried to do in australia but there was enough pushback if they can get away with it on the atoll they'll say in five years ten years we'll pull it off we'll get away with it in new zealand we'll get away with it in australia and thence to the world we will just keep coming back until they crumple and i won't crumple and i can see you won't i can see you won't
1: <laughs> i i like i'd rather die to be honest so um so- Yeah, probably you too. But um, easier said than done. If if it happens, I hope it's swift. Anyway, um, so um, what my advice would be is that, look, they've been planning this for decades, right? Maybe over a century in some way, shape or form. We're only really getting our stuff together now, okay? So we've spent two and a half years running around like headless chickens, but making great networks and doing great things. The protests were totally necessary to bring us together and make us realise that there's enough of us. But now I think it needs... The strategy needs to change. I think that um, protesting and rallying um, has done its bit and I think there will be a time for it again, but actually the effort and the energy that it takes to do that actually probably isn't relative to the impact that it has um, for what we actually want to achieve. Secondly, it actually only annoys the citizens who get interrupted by their day, right? The global elites, they don't give a flying beep about, a couple of people protesting, right? So I've been thinking long and hard about how to actually affect them. And that's why I've started Reignite World Freedom, which is a unified and strategic pushback against the globalists. Because at the end of the day, it everything is because of the globalism, everything. So the COVID narrative, whether it's COVID or monkeypox or something else, it's all coming from the WHO and the WEF and the UN, basically. They let's yeah. let's
0: explain and bring people with yeah. us who are, who have gone la 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 la. I don't want to look at that. Very, very briefly. The UN, the World Economic Forum, and the and the World Health Organization, which is basically funded primarily by the Gates Foundation, by Bill Gates. Let's let's just briefly summarize for me what your meaning by the the globalists
1: okay it's people who want a one world government so they want to be making policies and legislation from a central point in say Davos or something um that that affects everyone so basically in New Zealand uh that they might get a, a call from Jacinta who says oh you know there's this group of people that are uh, uh, they're a health threat to to New Zealand what do I do with them and they will be in Davos in in or in Europe somewhere and say well this is how you handle them put in put, put through this legislation and and this And then you can deal with them. So it's basically being governed from another area um, across the whole world. So they, you know, one legislation for the entire world, basically. So it's it's that's that's how I would explain it. Does that make sense?
0: It makes a lot of sense. And to get there, Monica, we have to explain that weirdly, the so-called pandemic was a weapon in order to bring this one-world government, and that is hard for a lot of minds to get around can you just go into that side of it it was simply a tool wasn't it to scare us
1: well i think it was a i think it was a test i think it was um yeah because that almost all of the countries were doing the same things so that is that is what a one world government would do actually so um they i think they were testing firstly they were testing our compliance which we failed mostly but they were also testing their communication structure um, and and how and how much they've infiltrated particular governments like it's pretty clear that they've they've got canada it's pretty clear that they've pretty much got australia except with pretty strong pushback it's pretty clear they've got just enough you know so i think they were testing out the relationship that they've built that's the first time i've said that but i think that makes sense um Um, So, so it's, it's just like a, it's a test. And, and, and to be honest, I think they did really, really well, but they've tried a few times before they tried with SARS-CoV-1 they tried with swine. They even tried with AIDS, to be honest. So they've actually been trying this for decades um, until they got success. And this time they got enough success to, to warrant it. So the globalists are yes. The Klaus swabs, the um, Bill Gates, um, and, you know, the world uh, if you if your audience don't know about the World Health Organization's treaty, um, that's exactly what globalism is. So it was a treaty where the the World Health Organization could send in U.N. troops into Australia to enforce, for example, health policies. Now, that is extremely dangerous because the U.N aren't Australians, so we're not even fellow people so they're going to treat us very different that's what that's a tactic that people use for that cold-heartedness no empathy situation so they're already trying and the, the treaty was to be signed by uh, there's 198 member countries of the world health organization they wanted all of the 198 countries to sign this treaty now that is if that's not an example of globalism then i don't know what what is
0: and the, the, yeah and this treaty completely overrode sovereign rights of nations. So we have leaders saying, "I'll sell my country out." But yes. where was the consultation with us, the people, saying, "Oh, Jacinda, I approve of you doing that. I approve of you selling me out. I think this is for the greater good." No, we never had any consultation at all. Well, it's no. just appalling what what they're willing to do. Okay, so but we've the got the treaty's that...
1: not going through. Just so you know, the treaty. Yes. Um, yes. So that that's There a was good...
0: pushback. There for now, a- though. There for was now. Ne- oh, yeah, for it's now. not
1: over. It's not over. But yeah, that explains the globalist thing. So the point I was making before is that COVID is a symptom of globalism. It is not the problem. It's the byproduct. So if we can some so so you asked what is our advice moving forward? And that's what I'm this that's what I'm getting to. I ha- I'm trying a new strategy in my own life, and this is what I'm preaching at the moment, which is that I no longer get angry or affected when I see bad news about what the government is doing because it's I, I now I just say to myself well of course I mean we have a corrupt government and we just got a terrible prime minister we've got a terrible premier what do you expect you think you're going to see a news headline saying that Daniel Andrews has apologized no it's not it's not going to happen so why do we keep looking for sources of joy from the news when it's not going to happen so now I see the negative stuff and I just say Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Okay. Yep. What what was I doing? So there's that, but, but also the effort and energy that I used to use being so reactive, I would post straight away. I would make a petition. I've actually stopped posting anything negative now. And what I'm concentrating on is building community groups up as much as possible. So that, and the idea is, is that I don't think, I don't think we can fight these tyrants head on bull to bull because they're so big right? But what we can do is build ourselves up, build our communities up so that we don't even need them. (coughs) Excuse me.
0: I love that.
1: So, I am putting that in place. So um, I'm doing a tour around Australia right now um, and building up community groups. And they, they have veggie gardens, they do bartering. So I'm trying I'm working out bartering systems, like all that energy on protesting is much better spent actually making us better people. And like, you know, all that negativity, it, it rots you. You know, I was losing hair, I was, you know, feeling older, you know, all this sort of stuff. Now I'm starting to feel rejuvenated again because I actually think if we don't even care what they're doing. It's like a bully in a schoolyard, right? They want a reaction from their victim, don't they? they So what if we stop giving them reactions? I think it would actually annoy them a lot. And we just continue living our lives and we just get better and stronger. And we have our veggie gardens in the backyard and we just keep, yeah, it'll be more powerful than a protest. And, and so with the global, with the global um, thing that I'm doing, um, we have a strategy, and it's coming out really soon, and it is going to impact the globalists personally over time. So, and no one has to leave their
0: house. So it's it's pretty pretty awesome. It's brilliant. And what countries are on board now? Which, which countries have you got with you? Like, like I've, I think we've had a,
1: at least a sign up from every single country, at least. Like a hun- I think it's, we're up to one hundred and seventy or something. But um, in terms of um, like leaders and stuff we've got over 300 partners around the world that, that want to work with us so um, we have to vet them and things first so there's a bit of a process but um, yeah it's going very very well
0: and this is where Gabrielle from New Zealand has signed <laughs> up she Gabrielle from New Zealand has put me in touch with you and she's one of the ones who's who's supporting it here and I know they're looking at some new land where they're going to get these wonderful gardens going
1: yeah, exactly. So we're, we're the the net. So me and you are a result already of the networking. So um, it's it's going really really well. Obviously, I didn't know how well it was going to go. So now we're like putting in all the infrastructure, which you know takes time. But um, yeah, it's really really exciting. So.
0: How many people are working with you, Monica? And what what numbers are you using to get this going?
1: What numbers? Well, I mean, we've had, I've got over 30,000, no, sorry, 40,000 email subscribers already and we only launched two weeks ago. So it's going really well Um, because emails are far more important than Facebook and stuff because you can, you, own those well you you can't get kicked off basically um but yeah no i have some staff helping me i have i have staff for reignite democracy australia um and i also have and is that what you're asking yes yes have you got
0: a really good team getting this going have you got money have you got a team to pay to, to get this all up and running yeah
1: so i've hired an admin staff to help with all the administration and we sell merchandise um, and we get a, we make a bit of money there. And that's that's all the money we need right now because it's actually not expensive what we're doing. Um really all I need the money for is the admin and the emails, the the, the mass email system. Um that is literally the only money I need. I, I'm not paying myself from the the from the new global thing. Um, and, um, and I just absolutely love it. So like, it's there's fun.
0: something so powerful about focusing on what we want instead of what we don't want, you know, the idea that you will get what you focus on. So I really get this, this shift, focus on what we want, go after it, build community, make the leadership irrelevant. What's the bartering system? I'm fascinated by that. If they try to collapse the economic system, what is the bartering system you're doing?
1: Yeah, well, I'm, we're pretty far off at the moment, but um, it's, that there is a, there is a system already in place called barter card in Australia, but they take 6% um, that I guess you put money in and then, yeah. And they must take 6% of something like we wouldn't do that part, but the system's already in place really. But I guess the idea is, and energetically, you can exchange things with your community with no money anyway. So if my brother is, is renovating, he's got a friend that's an electrician and a friend that's a plumber, and he's a t- he does flooring. So they just do stuff for each other, and they don't, there's no <laughs> there's no money exchange. So I think if we we could create that more and more around ourselves, um, and and when I start to implement the uh, the global walkout, it's called it's it's the unified pushback against the you know. There will be, um, I'll give you a sneak peek, there will be little missions every week for us to do to start to disconnect from globalism. And, and, and what that is, is uh, so for example, one week we might say, make one connection with a farmer where you can get eggs directly from them instead of having to go to the shops. And so it'll be like a a task that you must must do. And slowly, slowly, we'll start to create situations around us where we don't need to go to Woolworths or calls. And don't get me wrong, it's going to be a little bit less convenient. So you've got, imagine globalism and convenience is on like a bar here. So the the more, the less convenient you are, the, the further away from glo- globalism you are the more convenient your life is the more globalist you are so it's kind of we're going to have to find a happy medium between uh, convenience and globalism
0: <laughs> I can I love this and I can see that as it grows obviously there'll be those smart people who go well let's bring more markets into town I remember I lived in Paris and on a Wednesday you'd always have a market and on a Saturday in the streets the people, people just bringing their goods to town and they were hugely supported in each little suburb. Wait, you know, so there was, no,
1: there was no like council approval or nothing. People just. It
0: thought- was a, it was a Parisian tradition and people loved having this the, because they love their food so much and they love nutrition in their food. They really encouraged farmers to come in and they would just set it up in a couple of streets. Now, I imagine, yes, our bureaucrats would try to get in the way of that, but I'm sure it could be done on private land. If you had somebody with a nice garden who said, yeah, you can put up some trestle tables every Wednesday, people can come and sell. What a brilliant idea!
1: Yeah, stuff like that is you the can way see. forward.
0: I remember, and, I yeah. remember someone telling me. I think it might have been the Mayans too, who made their currency something like beans. Here's the here's the rub: if you collected all the beans from everybody you could and you kept as many to yourself, and then you went back to your bean coffers six months later, they would have rotted. So you had to keep the beans circulating instead. <laughs> isn't that a lovely currency yeah so it absolutely stopped what these greedy globalists they just can't seem to they must be such empty people they can't seem to ever have enough their billions aren't enough their power isn't enough their fleet of planes isn't enough it's like I've got to have more I've got to have more and those are people who are really really empty inside really emptied out this is a wonderful idea is your Christianity a huge part of this because I I too have come back very much back to uh, a faith base in my life and I think for many people who've been so shaken up by this it's like there is beyond this world a divine source and it's deeply personal to me and I don't judge anybody else's choices but for me that it definitely is a, is a source of succor. Is mm. this the same for you?
1: Yeah well I mean I w- was brought up Catholic and then I I wasn't like, I didn't practice from about 18 to 25. And my life, my life was a mess. And then when I started coming back, and I'm not saying people who don't go to church's life is a mess. I'm talking about my experience. Um, I do really well with structure and, and, and rules, to be honest. And so Catholicism is just perfect for that. Um, (laughs) when, When I came back to, when I came back to church, my life just started getting better. So for me, it's not really about who's right and wrong. It's just like, this really works for me. And so I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and the community aspect is really important. I grew up with that community aspect. I traveled and I could stay at anyone's house from the church. And, you know, like there was that trust that was already there initially, not saying that all Catholics are good people, by the way, but, you know, but you know what I mean? Anyway, Absolutely. the point is I love being a part of a community like this It's taught me a lot and it gives me a lot of confidence and they so supportive as well. So there's that, but also, yes, the, the fact that there is someone else kind of guiding me um, really, really helps me um, because I know that it's not about me. And, and also it helps keep me humble as well, because I realize that whatever gifts I may have, it's not mine. They were given to me. They could be taken away from me in a heartbeat. I'm actually not special i'm just using the gifts that god gave me everyone is special they just don't use the gifts he's already given them that's the problem i'm just in touch with what he wants me to do and i it makes me feel good to do what he asks me to do that's the only difference between me and someone else who's not doing amazing things it's because they're just not using the gifts right so when i uh when i was about to go into prison it was really important for me to uh uh, make peace with my reason for doing it like i said to god like Make sure you pro- promise me this isn't me trying to be a hero. Like, I'm not, I, I'm, I don't want a badge of honor here, right? Make sure I'm doing this for the right reason and that it's going to have the effect that it's that you want it to have. It's not about me. It's not about me. And I had to keep all night when I was in that cell the day before the bail um, hearing. Um, I was like, I'm not doing this for me, right? I'm not doing this for me, right? I'm like, no, why the hell would I want to go to prison? Of course, I'm not doing it for me. And I was just like, have this, yeah, you know, beautiful. little discussion with myself. So, anyway, yes. Yes, my, my. I
0: absolutely love that. There's, there was a hymn I loved at school. It, was, it had something that, in the line was that still small voice inside, and it means if you're still, you can hear that voice. Sometimes it is very small, and as you listen for those answers, it's it's a quiet place. It's a meditative place, but there is something that speaks back to us when we ask those questions I love that too about leaving it's not about the ego if I do this in service there's something liberating if I do it in service for something bigger than me I too am free Uh, what did happen when they came to you finally in the prison we never covered that off Monica did they come after three weeks and say you know did they actually say to you your your numbers are growing it's scaring us or how did you put that together because it was clearly linked
1: no 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 well we just did it. we had a uh, we appealed the bail conditions to the supreme court so I, I i knew when i had that date obviously um and um i i knew that a lot of people were on the on the on the call with the you know the, the appeal uh because the judge made that comment like there's a lot of people watching um and uh you know i i knew that i mean i i had talked to my family of course so i knew that it had gone the news had gone overseas and stuff like that so i i knew that and it made me feel um at peace uh, like as soon as i started getting that news back it was very clear to me that it wasn't about me and because i felt so at peace like i was really calm in there liz i didn't cry once i i cried once in the in the transport vehicle from the remand centre to prison i cried because i saw my parents van outside the prison um, that sleeping van. Um, and I, and, and, you know, I could see other people in the cars next to me cause there was a little window. And I was like, I can't believe you don't know what's happening in this van. Like I'm not supposed to be here, you know, stuff like that. I cried for 10 yes. minutes and that was it. But from then on, I was at complete, I was in complete peace. And that made me realize that it wasn't my ego. It was for the right reasons. And I asked God, just please don't let it be in vain, you know? And, uh, it wasn't, so I was completely, um, and, then, and then I would, I would giggle in, in prison because they, they, they arrested me because they wanted to silence me and it did the complete opposite. And so I would laugh out loud in my prison cell, like you idiots, you've just achieved the complete opposite. They are the reason, They are the reason that I've been able to go global as well because without having my prison story, it would not be as easy to network with the entire globe. So I actually thank them for um stealing my liberty um for that reason but you know I still need them to be made accountable
0: but yeah Absolutely. Where do you think it's a wonderful story? Where do you think it will go in terms of their accountability? Do you think any of these rogues? I mean, they are a cabal of rogues. To me, they're just like a mafiosa that's got power throughout the world. Klaus Schwab is known for skiting that he's got his people, his, you know, Jacinda Ardern was a young global leader from the Klaus Schwab school. That's, that is uncontestable. That is not conspiracy theory. You can track that down easily. And he skites about having his people and every government. Where do you think that will go in terms of accountability? Will they ever be called to account? Do you feel? Well, I'm just glad that I believe in heaven and
1: hell, right? So, if we don't if we don't get to see accountability on this earth, then I'm sure it'll come later. And I'm I'm quite comfortable with that. That I'm happy with that. Um, yeah. But in saying that, a lot of people won't be happy with that, and they'll want to see some some actual tangible justice and um, I want to see that too for some and of course it's going to happen but also um, their their pain is in 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 their living like they surely can't be happy people they must have no real friends because they, they they're so rich that they don't know who to trust. They they must be looking over their shoulders all the time. And and at three o'clock in the morning when they can't sleep or they get up to go to the toilet, they are like every single one of us. They are human beings, and there might still be a prick of conscience maybe once a month or once every two months. Like I'm an evil person. I should probably stop. You know, like it, yeah. you you can't run away from it entirely. You know. So to be honest, I think they're in their. I think they're in their own A hell on earth right now and that makes me feel fine as well but yet some people will be made accountable i personally will not stop until um i get i get some compensation for what i went through um so hopefully someone can be made accountable
0: there's a beautiful saying a dear friend of mine had the moral arc of the universe is long but it bends towards justice in other words don't worry about it always those who do wrong will be in the end justly held to account and it's not our business in a way
1: no. there was one other
0: thing yeah what were you going to say Monica
1: I was just going to say like good always prevails in the end and if you if you do believe in God um, then or or higher power it allows everything to happen right so this is this has been allowed to happen for some reason and it, it will become evident soon. But also in the meantime, there are some amazing stories happening anyway during this crisis. So there is a reason for it and good always prevails. That's, that's my end of the
0: end of that some of the finest qualities of humans being shown up along with the worst of humans we're seeing some of the best there's a gorgeous um, moment where you said before you know if it's death it's death I'm, I'm in it all the way you said that and I and for me it's that Monica I couldn't have the jab because I had pericarditis so badly that I was 24 hours from my right ventricle shutting down completely so they had to do a live operation and 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 it it saved but what happened in that time was I had this beautiful experience of death I suppose and I was in this absolutely golden light and it was just pure unconditional unadulterated love everywhere all I felt was love so I tell you death all this has been premised on a fear of death. You might die from COVID. Death is utterly beautiful. Death is, and I think if you've lived a half decent life, if you've been good, as good as you can be to others and been decent and honorable and honest, that is death. For those who behave badly, I think death would be a very different experience. So when you say that about death, I just, I just drop that in and say it was, it was very hard to come back, and I only came back because I saw both my children and they were looking up at me and. And I went, damn, (laughs) I need need to love them more than go, but I wanted to go. But um, for those who are saying, oh, good, I'll just commit suicide, that's a different kind of death. Life doesn't, I I was very much put off the suicide because someone once told me when I was young that um, I think when we commit suicide, we may have to possibly it's a possibility we come back around and we have to do life again to that point and again so we don't escape the lessons in this life just as a concept we have to face what life throws at us and endlessly find that sort of that knock down seven times stand up eight is it your faith that gives you that is it your oh for faith sure yeah you? yeah for yeah. sure I mean it's not
1: the only thing but it um I, like I said, I, I'm a bit weird and I find it interesting and I like to test boundaries and things like that. So there's that al- there's the human element of it that I find really interesting. Um, but, but secondly, like the whole fear of death thing, um, I think it has a lot to do with people who don't believe in an afterlife, obviously, um, because yes. it's like, well, this is it, this is the end. And that's why they have to try to live their life to the best. And that's, but that is also why some people fell for the lies that or got the jabs because, they wanted to continue living their life the way that they have planned to live their life, right? So I actually think the, the, the lack of God has actually majorly played into the ability to brainwash people. Now, I'm not saying that people who don't believe in God can be more easily brainwashed, but um, what I am saying is that because we believe in God, we know that the government is not our hero. We know that they are not our savior. So we question them, but I think human beings, they want a hero. They want someone to look over them. So if they don't believe in a God, then they're probably going to be looking to a human being of some sort. And that has become the government for people. It's become a religion. COVID has become a religion. When you see someone in the car wearing a mask, even with no mandates or anything, they're not scared of anything except for the fact that they love this religion that they have just joined. And they like to be a part of it and they like to be recognized by their hero on TV for being such a good little citizen. So actually and the fear of death plays a lot into people who don't believe in an afterlife obviously because you've had that experience you're not scared of death i'm not scared of death because i think i'll go to heaven and i'm probably sure i'm pretty sure it's better than this world so and i also know that my parents that if i did something brave and i got martyred for whatever reason my parents would be proud of me i mean they'd be sad but like and i've got no, and i've also got no children so The fear of death for me is different than for other people. But um, yeah, I think lack of God is a big problem.
0: I think to die with one's moral code intact, to say I did my best, and I was as courageous as I could be, and I found the best part of me, what a peaceful death that would be. To die with I was brutal to people, I betrayed people, I was a mean cop, I, I shot rubber bullets, I stood up for tyrants, that would be a horrible death, you know, and as for the politicians, God only knows what they'll be up for. But it's it's so beautiful to talk about your parents as well. How did your father cope with that? A man holding up the, the the rosary beads to a cop who grabs them who disrespects this this older man how did he cope with that
1: oh again my family's weird we um we 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 manage emotional things quite well um we don't yeah we're not like a and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with this but we're just not we don't have that depressive nature about us and so we 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 can get sad and stuff, but then we just get over it. So I've been, I've been modeled that. um, And there's good and bad things about that, obviously. Um, But yeah, I've just been modeled to just pick yourself up and and move on with it. Um, Talk about it. We talk about everything. We're very open with each other about everything, which can again be annoying as well, Um, but mostly it's good. Um, But yeah, they're just, because they've got the faith as well. When I was in prison, they, they weren't afraid for me because they know me, they know I'm strong mentally um and they're like no nah, well she's doing the right thing so like well, I'm happy and other people are, oh you know like what are you, oh, no. they're like she's fine she's fine like, they must
0: be extraordinary your parents to have produced someone like you they must be extraordinary I would love to meet them one day Oh, and, you know and you they you
1: know they they traveled a lot when they were young and so when I travel alone other parents will be like Oh, aren't you worried about Monica? And they're like, "No, like we're so happy that she's going and exploring, you know? Like so yeah, we we just have a they're not we're not scared. We're not scared people. And you know, my mom, she's always been interested in alternative health. I've never been vaccinated for anything. I went to I went to Africa without a vaccination, you know? Like so it's just we've always been alternative thinkers. So
0: you're an absolute joy to, to, to talk to, Monica. What a stimulating conversation. Would you ever stand for politics? Privately, I did hope last year. Please, please, Monica, start something no. and just get your foot in the door.
1: It's too negative and it's yeah. too, it's mind-numbingly soul-sucking. It's just dirty. I don't like it. And to be honest, I don't think it's the answer. I actually think that what I've suggested now, which is just creating great lives for ourselves, I actually think that's the answer and it doesn't matter who's in power. Yeah. You know,
0: I would love to see a group of you. Imagine a hundred yous putting your foot in the door before it's slammed and Albanese gets in and he delivers the next lot of abuse to Australians. Imagine a group of you saying, Hey, Hey, we're just going to bring some air into this fetid place with stinking corridors of power. And we're going to actually stand for decentralization we're going to stand for open health policies we're going to stand for listening to the people and you bastards you will go along with this because we're going to get enough support to at least get some air in these fetid corridors i i think we we need to move away from centralized power as soon as we can back to your model which is community power yeah. I wonder if there can be a marriage of both. I don't know. I'm sitting at
1: that. Look, I don't know. But I, th- I think if we get stronger and stronger, like, so the government's here in terms of strength, we're down here. If we get stronger and stronger and stronger and more, more powerful in numbers, like, there will come a point where, you know, it's possible that we could actually, um, you know, shadow that government in our, uh, have, have, a, have, a, have a parallel government. Um, you know, because democracy in theory, it's a good, it's a good, it's one of the best processes we have if it's working correctly but when they put in pandemic legislation or emergency legislation it totally takes away democracy so um, you know we shouldn't be allowing that sort of stuff to happen so yes i would definitely be involved in politics if it wasn't so disgusting
0: Yes, and I think your idea in Reignite, which is get back to community, you can't be Bill Gates and go and corrupt every little community in a country. He would have had to toddle around all the parts of New Zealand and Australia, but he can if it's been brought together in the centralised, ghastly right. model we've That's had. Right. On On the issue of getting god out of out of new zealand or australia i worked in mainstream media back in the early 2000s and now i've looked back at helen clark and how hard she and a woman called margaret wilson worked to kind of denude family values worked to get god out of any part of our schooling out of our wider new zealand community you can see the setup you said at the beginning this has been going on for years for kiwis who are wanting to look at this where would you recommend monica someone who's just pulling the wool out from their eyes and going what is going on where would you recommend someone starts if they want to start educating themselves on the horrors that are actually being unfurled here
1: that's a good question I actually don't have a a really quick answer on that because um, because I've been brought up awake basically so um, I don't know what that's like and actually all of my friends and family are on my side though it's been I haven't had that experience that people have had where they've had to try and you know but obviously you know places like BitChute and Rumble um, are where all the uncensored things are so if you did if you were going to watch stuff you would go from there. Uh, if you're into numbers, you would watch, you would read Robert Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Fauci, um, but it's apparently pretty dry. If you're not um, a numbers person or a, um, a scholar, I guess you could say. I could never read it, for example. Um, you know, um, so yeah, I, I would look at that. And um, and there's some really good documentaries out. I mean, if you've got some, maybe you can put it in the description of the video. But there is like, a, it's called The Chemist. Um, you know, like the the farmers, pharma, the pharmaceuticals have been rotting us for you know a very long time and and now we're just expected to trust them so there's documentaries out there they're all out there um and i I just don't go on youtube or facebook probably yes
0: very good and your website as well certainly ours is odyssey we find a very good one least censored o-d-y-s-e-e that's like a platform like youtube and you can look under friends free nz there but what's your what's your platform
1: yeah so my website is probably the best platform for, for us um but you know it's more um the, uh, the reignite democracy australia one is local to australia but reignitefreedom.com that's the global one and that's where we'll post your letter for example um, because it's more global and um, uh, yeah so the email if you subscribe you'll get emails with daily updates or not daily but um, every couple of days so yeah definitely the website and i am at the moment just researching which alternative platform um, to start really investing in because um, I actually uh, talking about the whole globalist convenience bar that I explained. Um, I don't really think we should ever we shouldn't be on Facebook, probably. No,
0: really. I don't think so either. You're kind They're of disgusting. doing a deal
1: you're kind of doing a deal with the devil to get to get clicks and views. Um, but uh, you know, so it's going to be a transition, but over the next couple of months, I want to transition off. Of Facebook and encourage other people to do so as well so I have to follow by example and get off even though it's really great for reach but you know
0: absolutely although their numbers are plummeting I think he's lost 100 million 100 million yeah I can't even keep up with the numbers it's probably 100 billion in that guy's case (laughs) it's all just it's all just a lot of money he's lost he's lost a lot of money Zuckerberg and I was just cheering in the weekend when my partner Tim read that out Monica, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you and I'd love to keep in touch with you and, and just every now and then do a catch up and especially as you launch fully into this Reignite vision, which could really bounce around the world with great joy.
1: Hope so, yeah. Thank you, yeah, Monica. We'll, we'll keep in touch. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Absolute treasure. And please give your parents my best. I do I want to meet them one day. <laughs> Thanks, Monica. Bye.